Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the praises that we've had this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together to dig into your word and to hear from you. God, I pray this morning that you will uh, enlighten these words for us, enlighten the words in your word to help us to grow more like you. God, give me the words to speak. Help me to give them clearly. Lord, give um, anybody listening the ears to hear your message. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, so we are continuing our sermon series in Isaac, and Isaac is the son of promise. So the background on that goes all the way back to Genesis 12, uh, and that is the Abrahamic covenant. And this is where God told Abraham to come with me, to leave your land, leave your family, and follow me, and I will bless you greatly. He told Abraham, that, or he promised Abraham that he would make him into a great nation, and along with that promise, there is a promised land. We've talked throughout this series that a lot of Isaac's life ties directly back to this covenant. Um, last week we saw that Isaac was promised the covenant as well. God passed that to the next generation from Abraham to Isaac. Um, and that promise is directly tied to the land of Canaan. Now this week, Isaac, or we're getting into the passage this week where Isaac is he's getting pretty old now. Um, and it says that he's old and, and his eyes are failing him. So he's, he's lost his vision in his old age. But he's trying to get things in order before he dies. And so this is Genesis 27. And the, the title of this sermon, I guess, is A Stolen Blessing. Now the main idea is that God accomplishes His will in spite of our sins. God accomplishes His will sometimes not because of us, but in spite of us. And we're kind of in God's way, but he still, gets what, he still gets his will accomplished, even though we might be fighting against him sometimes. Um, now, you see this slide probably looks a little different than usually when I get to my title slide. That's because the structure of this sermon is going to be different. You, uh, if you've been here, you've listened to me, you know that I like to have a, a, a kind of a main point and then three supporting points, and then we tie it all up in the application. Uh, we'll read a small chunk and then give uh, the minor point. We'll read a chunk and give the minor point, read a chunk and give the minor point, and then, and, and then application. Well, that's how I like to do it, and, and it, it's... And having that structure really helps me out when it comes to sermon planning and, and getting all that done. But I cannot force my preferences onto God's Word. Um, and so this, uh, this text this morning didn't fit nicely into my outline that I like to use. And so I had to adjust my outline a lot. Um, and I'm going to have to do something this morning that I don't like to do, and that is read a really large chunk without a whole lot of commentary along the way. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into that. We're going to read this whole chapter. Uh, so starting in verse 1, it says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could not see, he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Look, I am old and do not know the day of my death. So now take your hunting gear, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field to hunt some game for me. Then make me a delicious meal that I love and bring it to me to eat, so that I can bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening to what Isaac said to his son Esau. So while Esau went to the field to hunt some game to bring in, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Listen, I heard your father talking with your brother Esau. He said, bring me game and make a delicious meal for me to eat so that I can bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me and do what I tell you. Go to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, and I will make them into a delicious meal for your father, the kind he loves. 
Then take it to your father, so, uh, take it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. Now this might seem a little odd for us, but to get some uh, background understanding as to why Rebecca would go against Abraham's desires, uh, all the way back in chapter 25, right after the, the twins were born, we read that um, in 27 and 20, so chapter 25, verses 27 and 28 says, when the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter and outdoorsman, but Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. So we see kind of some, some favoritism among the parents, and that's, that typically is not a very healthy way to, to have your home set up. So we'll keep reading, uh, starting in verse 11. Jacob answered Rebekah, his mother, Look, my brother Esau is a hairy man, but I am a man with smooth skin. Suppose my father touches me. Then I will be revealed to him as a deceiver and bring a curse rather than a, than a blessing on myself. His mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Just obey me and go get them for me. So he went and got the goats and brought them to his mother, and his mother made the delicious food for his, fa his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of her older son Esau, which were in the house, and, and had her younger son Jacob wear them. She put the skins on the, of the young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. Then she handed the delicious food and the bread she had made to her son Jacob. When he came to his father, he said, My father, and he answered, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob replied to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How did you ever find it so quickly, my son? He replied, Because the Lord your God made it happen for me. Now, an important note here. Jacob not only lies and blasphemes God in this passage, but he also shows that he does not yet believe in Yahweh as God. Because he says, the Lord, your God, not the Lord, my God, or the Lord, our God, but he says, the Lord, your God. All right, we'll keep reading. Um, looks like I skipped a little passage. Yeah, so uh, 21 to 24 says, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come closer so I can touch you, my son. Are you really my son Esau or not? So Jacob came closer to his father Isaac. When he touched him, he said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like those of his, son, of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Again, he asked, Are you really my son Esau? And he replied, I am. Now, considering that Jacob was wearing goat skins on his hands and his neck, Esau must have really been a hairy man. All right, so now we'll get into 25. Uh, then he said, bring it closer to me and let me eat some of my son's game so that I can bless you. Jacob brought it closer to him and he ate. He brought him wine and he drank. Then his father said to him, please come closer and kiss me, my son. He came closer and he kissed him. When Isaac smelled his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you from the dew of the sky and the riches of the land an, abundant, an abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow and worship to you. Be master over your relatives. May your mother's sons bow and worship to you. Those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had left the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau arrived from his hunting. He had also made some delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father get up and eat some of his son's game so that you may bless me. But his father said to him, who are you? And he answered, I am Esau, your firstborn son. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably. 
Who was it then, he said, who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it all before you came in, and I blessed him. Indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, my father. But he replied, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. So he said, Isn't he rightly named uh, Jacob? For he has cheated me twice now. He took my birthright, and look now he has taken my blessing." Then he asked, Haven't you saved a blessing from me? But Isaac answered Esau, Look, I have made him a master over you, have given him all of his relatives as servants, and and have sustained him with grain and new wine. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you only have one blessing? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept loudly. His father Isaac answered him, Look, your dwelling place will be away from the riches of the land, away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by your sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. That doesn't sound much like a blessing. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob." When the words of the older son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she summoned her younger son Jacob and said to him, Listen, your brother Esau is consoling himself by planning to kill you. So now, my son, listen to me. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him for a few days until your brother's anger subsides, until your brother's rage turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send for you and bring you back from there. Why should I lose you both in one day? So Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm sick of my life because of these Hethite girls. If Jacob marries someone from around here like these Hethite girls, what good is my life? All right, so now this is a very popular story. And like I said, I don't like to read those big chunks like that. But we kind of had to ingest the whole story at once before we could kind of take and and dissect it and, and pull it apart and pull out some lessons. This is a very popular story, and I've heard it taught many times. But I can't tell you any time that I've heard this story taught that I can remember where the teacher actually tied it back in to the overarching story of the Bible and into God's character. Now we have to remember that God is the main character of the Bible, and it all points to Jesus. So any stories in the Bible, the purpose is to point to God and to point to Jesus. The purpose of all these stories in the Bible is to point to God's character and to show His plan for salvation. So how does this story reveal God's character and or His plan for salvation? Well. We're not going to answer that just yet. First, we have to look at the story and analyze it a little bit. The structure of this story is called a chiasm, and this is a literary technique that deals in repeating themes. To help understand the structure of a chiasm, in Jewish study, they call it a menorah. Okay? They call it a menorah because there's a central theme, and then there are, branching, uh, there are other themes that are branching out and repeating patterns. Okay? Uh, Hopefully once I show this to you, it'll make a little more sense. So the chiasm or menorah in this passage is composed of seven branches. It actually goes back before chapter 27 and continues through chapter 28. But I wasn't going to read all that this morning. So there are seven branches in this menorah. Uh, The first one is where Esau, um, Esau's marriages grieve his parents. We saw that in chapter 26. Um, And then at the beginning of this passage, Isaac intends to bless Esau. And then Rebecca's plan to help Jacob deceive. The central theme here, that middle um, branch on the menorah, is Isaac blesses Jacob. And then going back out in the repeating themes is Rebecca's plan to help Jacob flee. So there, the sea and the sea, the repeated sea, that's uh, Rebecca's plan. 
And then the B in repeated, plea, repeated B is Isaac's intentions. The first time was Isaac intended to bless Esau. The second time is Isaac intends to bless Jacob. Now, we didn't get to read that one, um, the, the rep repeated theme there. And then all the way at the end of this uh, chiasm or menorah is Esau's marriages grieve his parents. That's what this passage started with, and that's what chapter 28 ends with, or it's kind of there in the middle. Esau's marriages grieve his parents. Now, the central theme of this structure, the central theme of this menorah, is Isaac blessing Jacob. Isaac's blessing of Jacob. Now, hopefully here, between this little outline that I've given you and all the way back to the picture of the menorah here, hopefully you can kind of see that, uh, why they would call it a menorah in um, Western study, they call it a chiasm. I like the imagery of the menorah on that. It helps us to see the, the repeating themes and that central theme. Now, the central theme in, the, in the, the menorah pattern is the most important. It's the focal point. That's the focus of this whole passage. So that is, uh, like I said, that's Isaac blessing Jacob. Immediately before and after that are Rebekah's plans. Moving outward, we, saw es we see Esau's intended blessing. And the outermost branches are Esau's marriages that grieve his parents. Like I said, we didn't read either one of those. So let me just give you a summary of that. In 26, Esau married some Canaanite girls. And Rebekah didn't like that. And then at, in t chapter 28, Esau marries uh, some of Ishmael, uh, Ishmael's um, descendants. Now, the, the thing about that is that both of those people groups, the Canaanites and Ishmael's descendants, they're both um, excluded from God's promises. They're both excluded from the covenant that God has made. Um, now, we want to know how this story reveals God's character and his plan for salvation. The structure study is helpful. We read the story, and we've looked at the structure. But that's only scratching the surface of the significance of this story. I've heard it said that a fool sees only the clothes. An observant person sees the body but a wise person perceives the soul. So let us not be a fool and stop only at the story. Let us be more than observant and see more than the structure. We want to get to the soul of this passage. Now the soul of the passage is what, what does this tell us about God's character and his plan for salvation? We're going back to that question. What does this tell us about God's character and his plan for salvation? The central branch is Isaac's blessing of Jacob. That means it's, it has special significance, and it's the main focal point of this passage. To help us understand that, we have to go back and reread that blessing. Isaac said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you from the dew of the sky and the richness of the land an abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow and worship to you. Be master over your relatives. May your mother's sons bow and worship to you. Those who curse you will be cursed, and those who bless you will be blessed. Now, what is about this blessing that's so important? Now, if we think back to chapter 25, when Rebecca was pregnant, and she was struggling with her pregnancy, she was having a rough pregnancy, and she asked God, why is this pregnancy so rough? What was God's answer to her? This was, was the last week. All right, God's answer to her. God said, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So Isaac's blessing is a fulfillment of God's answer to Rebekah's prayer. Not only that, there are some aspects here of the Abrahamic covenant sprinkled in. See, in the Abrahamic covenant, God told Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. That sounds a whole lot like that last sentence there. Those who curse you will be cursed, and those who bless you will be blessed. 
There's also some, um, some other aspects of the Abrahamic covenant sprinkled in here, where uh, Isaac blesses Jacob and tells him that he will live on the, the fruitfulness of the land. Remember, the covenant was closely tied with the promised land, and the, this promise that God would be with them. So we see this blessing that God is faithful to his word. But this passage also shows the harm of setting aside God's will in order to accomplish our own. See, Isaac and Rebekah, they played favorites with their sons. Rebekah deceived her husband twice, once to bless Jacob, and again to send Jacob away. This only led to strife and broken relationships in the home. Jacob blasphemes God while lying to his father. Esau wants to kill Jacob. Jacob has to leave his family, and in doing so, he leaves the promised land. And Esau marries women that grieved his family even more. In spite of all this, in spite of all that sin, in spite of all that, that disobedience and that, uh, the, the deception, God still accomplishes his will. Now, I want to tell you a story. Um, a lot of you have probably already heard this story, but it applies here. God had to teach me this same lesson, that God's will, or God is going to accomplish his will in spite of my schemes. Uh, God had to teach me that lesson, the same lesson that he's teaching here. Um, this is when I was called to ministry, and then when I was called to Toronto, and then finally called here to victory. So a few years ago, I guess it was several years ago now, I was sitting in a, um, a faculty meeting at school, and the principal's up there talking. I've got my laptop open, and we're discussing testing scores, I think. And I just got this sick sense that I was in the wrong meeting. Not a sixth sense, but a sick sense. You know that feeling when you're not where you're supposed to be? You realize that you're supposed to be somewhere else, but you're not there? I, I had that feeling. I was like, I'm in the wrong meeting. Oh no, where am I supposed to be? So I pull up my Google Calendar and I'm looking. It says, well, no, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. But I couldn't shake that feeling. So I said, God, what are you trying to tell me? And he said, no, you're not in the wrong meeting per se. This is where you're supposed to be right now. But I want you to be meeting and planning and, and preparing for sharing my word with the people around you. I want you to be meeting and preparing sermons to teach and to, to serve my church. I thought, well, all right then, that's interesting. So I sent Hannah a text and I said, well, I've got a pretty big announcement for you. And she texted me back and said, I've got something to tell you too. So after the faculty meeting's over, I go home and I tell Hannah, well, you go ahead and tell me your news because I'm pretty sure my news is bigger. And she said, no, you start because I'm pretty sure my news is bigger. I said, all right, well, God's calling me into ministry. And she said, well, that's exactly what I was going to tell you. That's what God told me to tell you. And I was like, uh, wow, that's pretty intense. So in kind of going through that, I was also reading a book called Radical. Uh, it's a really great book. Uh, if you've never read it, I strongly suggest it. It's, it's Radical by David Platt. Um, and in, through reading that, God told me that it was time to go on an international mission trip. Well, we had a little argument about that too, but eventually God won out, and I ended up going to Toronto uh, to help a church planner up there. And I'm up there in Toronto, and I, I'm on, on this mission trip, and God opens my eyes to the way that Scott Rourke, who was the missionary up there, the way that he was doing church in a, a setting that is not the South, in a setting that's not churched like what we have here, a setting where the gospel is foreign, a setting where we don't have all these traditions set up in the church. And I'm seeing this, and God's showing me something. But I said, when God's, God's showing me something, I said, all right, God, you're calling me to Toronto to be a church planner in Toronto. 
So I got back home from Toronto, and I told Hannah, God's calling me to be a church planner in Toronto. And she said, no, he's not. That should have been first sign. She said, no, he's not. I said, yes, he is. She said, uh-uh. I said, all right, well, next year you go to Toronto, and you'll see. So the next year, uh, we both went to Toronto. There's a group of us that went to work with the same missionary, and God shows her the same thing, that church doesn't have to be the way it's always been for us. That church doesn't have to be everything that we've understood it to be so far. It can be so much more. And so she says, well, all right, God's calling us to be church planners in Toronto. And so we come back, and for the next few years, that's kind of the, the plan that we're telling God, we're going to go to Toronto to be church planners. Now, I've heard it said that if you ever want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And so we're telling God that he's sending us to Toronto to be church planners, and we're doing everything we can to make that happen. But the doors keep closing in our face, and it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen, and we're trying, and we're, we're trying to make it work, and it just doesn't happen. So finally, we said, all right, God, what's going on? What are you doing? You called me to ministry, and you called me to Toronto. Why, why isn't this happening? And God said, no, we called you to ministry. But then I called you to just be, observant, or to be obedient and wait where you are. Be patient and be obedient where you are. Oh, that hurt. I didn't like that a bit. Be obedient where you are and wait. So as much as we didn't like it, we said, okay, God, we'll be obedient right where we are and we'll wait. Well, a few months later, I got a call from Robert Ivey to ask me to come and do pulpit supply here. And I think you can probably put the pieces together for the rest of that story. Um, now, that was our schemes. God showed us some of his will and then we took and made our schemes to try to complete what we thought was God's will. And that's what Rebecca's doing in this story. God shows her that the younger will, will um, upset the older and that the older will serve the younger. And she starts scheming to try to make that work. Now, God still accomplishes his will, but not because Rebecca did what she did. It was more in spite of Rebecca doing what she did. Now, this to me, it sounds a lot like the gospel. See, God's will is accomplished in spite of our sin. Now, we could set up a gospel story as a menorah structure as well. It starts with God's design, a perfect relationship. God designed this whole universe to show his glory. God created us to be in perfect relationship with him, to be in perfect relationship with each other, and to be in perfect relationship with the rest of creation. But we don't see that anymore. Something around us doesn't show that. And that's because we rebelled in sin. It started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> sin came into creation. Now we continue to sin, and so we have departed from God's design. And that leads us to a place of brokenness. But God promises salvation through a son. God promised to send his son, Jesus. That first promise, again, happened in Genesis chapter 3. But we see that promise repeated throughout the Old Testament. God promises to send his son. And then the focal point of history, the focal point of the Bible, is Jesus comes to live that perfect life and to bring salvation through his sacrifice. Now this is where we start getting into those repeating themes. See, God promises to return to rule forever. And that was what we sang about in our song earlier, Ancient of Days. Your kingdom shall reign over all the earth. Your kingdom shall reign over all the earth. God promised to come back to rule forever. And that's reflected in his promise for salvation through a son. And after that, we see that humanity is restored to a right relationship with God through the gospel. 
And that kind of reflects or, or um, kind of gives the opposition to our rebellion against God through sin. But in the end, God's design and God's perfect relationship, in the end, at the end of time, God will come back and he will reign forever. And those who have accepted salvation through him, through his son's sacrifice, those who have accepted salvation will reign with God forever as well. We'll be there with him in perfect relationship. And those who have not accepted salvation through Jesus will not be there in that perfect design, God's perfect design. The only other option is hell, eternal punishment for our sins. That's what we all deserve. We all deserve that eternal punishment for our sins. But God, through his grace, has given us an option. God, through his grace, has given us a way out. If we will just surrender to him, if we will worship him, place our faith in him. And like I said, that central focal point there is Jesus bringing salvation through his sacrifice. Everything that we do comes back to the gospel. Because without the gospel, we're still sinners. Without the gospel, we're still uh, destined for an eternity in hell. Jesus is the main point of all of Scripture. All right, so what application do we get from this? I know we've kind of gone a lot of different ways this morning, and it's not my typical sermon structure, but I still want to bring back our application point. Our application points always come from our definition of a disciple, and that's uh, where our three aspects of a disciple are knowing, being, and doing. A disciple knows uh, he has accepted salvation through Jesus and the lordship of Jesus. A disciple is constantly being transformed through the gospel and the Holy Spirit, and a uh, disciple is doing the work of God. So there's our knowing, being, and doing. So knowing, first, to know that God doesn't need my schemes. God doesn't need my schemes to accomplish his will. He can accomplish his will without my schemes. God didn't need Rebecca to meddle in this. She only caused strife and division. God didn't need me to tell him exactly where my ministry would be. He just needed me to be, obe to be obedient and to wait. God doesn't need your schemes for his will to be accomplished. He only wants our obedience. So that brings us to our second application point, is to be obedient. See, God reveals his will to us in many different ways. Maybe it's like when I had that terrible feeling in the faculty meeting that I was in the wrong meeting. Or maybe it's like God appearing to you in a dream like he does with Mary and Joseph. Or maybe God reveals his will, will to you like when Ananias comes to Paul in Damascus and Ananias tells Paul what God's will is. Or maybe, well, probably, most likely, most obviously, most often, God reveals his will for us through his word. Most often, God reveals his will for us through his word. And no matter how God reveals his will to you, our response is to be obedient. Like when God told um, Isaac to stay in the land and not to go to Egypt because God would be with him in that land. Isaac's response was to stay. He said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what you said. Finally, the doing part is to seek God's will. Now, first, how do we find God's will? Well, we look in the Bible. And all of us have the same plan from God. All of us have been given the same command from God. That's to love God, love others, and make disciples. So in your life, are you being obedient in those three aspects of God's will? Love God, love others, and make disciples. Now that's kind of tied into our mission statement, or our vision statement here, worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That's loving God, loving others, and make disciples. So are you being obedient in those three first? But then second, what is God's specific will for you? Well, that's a question I can't answer for you. But here's something that I can tell you. If God has previously revealed something about his will to you, and you're not being obedient in that, don't expect the next step. Often, God reveals his will to us one step at a time. Just one step at a time. And when we are obedient in that one step, he will show us the next step. Now, us, in our pride, and probably some of us have some control problems. I know I do. We want God to show us the whole roadmap, to show us the big picture, the big plan. And occasionally, he might give us flashes of the big plan. But most of the time, God shows us one step, one step at a time. A great analogy that I've heard is comparing it to, again, like the, um, the old oil lamps that gave off very little light. If you're following a path through the woods with one of those old oil lamps, you'll only see one or two, maybe a few steps ahead of you. But then imagine there's a lightning storm. All right? So you're, you're walking through this path in the woods, and you've got your lamp, and there's a lightning storm. And you're being obedient to that next step, and you see the next step, and then you see the next step. And as you're being obedient, then you get a flash of lightning. And you can see you get a flash of that big picture. Okay? God will do that for us sometimes. But most of the time, we're just being obedient in the next step. So if God has called you to be obedient in something, if he has showed you his will for some specific area of your life, and you're not being obedient, it almost seems silly to go to God and say, what's your will for my life? Because you're already not following him in that area. So follow him in that area. Then go back and ask God, what's your will? What's, what's my next step? What do I do next? How do I continue to follow you? So God doesn't need my schemes. Be obedient to his will and seek his will in my life. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit victorybaptisthopemills.com or facebook.com slash vbchopemills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.